We demystify what goes on behind the therapy room door. Join us on this voyage of discovery and co-creative conversations. This is the Therapy Show Behind Closed Doors podcast with Bob Cook and Jackie Jones. Hello, welcome back to the next episode of the Therapy Show with Bob Cook and myself, Jackie Jones. And following on from the theme that we've been covering over the last few weeks, um, this week's podcast is working with the child with eating disorder yes whether it be bul- yeah, bulimia or bulimia or anorexia or you know traits of any of those things yes yeah again somebody who i haven't worked with i i've i've not worked with anybody with eating disorders it's never come up you must have done in some ways even if it's like maybe unhealthy eating maybe maybe issues around food but not an actual disorder uh, well we need to get to a continuum then yes um eat it. <laughs> it's like all these things isn't it there's a continuum yes or from what you might call unhealthy eating behaviors all the way up to a disorder where the person feels driven unconsciously um to a place where they either starve themselves or overeat to levels of obesity on the other level which we can call the disorder and that's this level is very fixed whereas this level is much more flexible and they feel they have some ability to regulate their habits if you like so you will have worked somewhat you you will have worked yes yeah people on those continuums on the continuum yes not the disorder as in a diagnosed disorder yeah. yeah, because if you yes. have a disorder like anorexia or bulimia, yeah. and they feel so fixed and black and white where they actually, you're in a, uh, a power battle to death, well, then we're at a disorder level. Yes, yeah. But you will have worked somewhere on that spectrum. Yes, I agree. You'd be surprised if you haven't. I am probably on that spectrum myself. <laughs> yeah, we, I think, you know, you know I think... Uh, um, I don't know, a high majority, but many, 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 many people struggle with eating issues Yeah. on that continuum. And then, yes. if you like, you might look at a disordered level where it becomes a more battle for survival and more of a battle really for life or death. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So, so have- yes, on the continuum, definitely. You definitely work with people with unhealthy eating patterns, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. So this is what we're doing. Would you so- say that the 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 spectrum, maybe the upper end of it, is it's a form of self harm? Well, that's an interesting one. By definition, it is. But you know, it is also driven. So yes, save alcoholic. You know, an alcoholic yeah. will self harm. Yeah. Of course. Uh, a driven smoker self-harm I mean in, in that definition yes and um, they're usually driven to do that so yes it is but at its acid at its essence people who are, who are overweight to the obesity level or starve themselves their, their defenses against trauma yeah. And now, control. When we talk about trauma, we then have a continuum, 
don't we, as well? There's all yeah. continuums. Yeah. So, you know, we can talk about, you know, neglect being trauma. We can talk about invasion of psyche being trauma. We can we can have definition of trauma. Um, but I think eating disorders at these sorts of levels are defense against trauma. Yeah. However we define trauma. Yeah. Because it's their way of controlling things. It's their attempt to cope. Okay. In a world uh, which is so frightening for them. So if we look at eat, eating issues as a whole then, I, I remember way back, uh, probably I would think in my first three or four years of clinical practice, so we're going back a long time, I worked with somebody who was uh, anorexic and was in this yo-yoing phase of, and back then, so we're talking about, about oh God, late, 1980s perhaps 1990 and most hospitals at that time had six stone as a sort of um mark point yeah when a person goes to the hospital and then they you know they may force feed them or or or, or, or so they can get them you know up to a reasonable weight then they go back out of hospital again and then they go back into this process so you get a yo what i call a yo-yoing process and this woman was in that, um, and I, I don't really know how much I helped her to tell you the truth, because what happened was that as we started to explore the, her history, remember I'm a beginning therapist in many ways, and uh, she started to talk about some of her early history, her mother, her mother phoned up and said that she was going to take her out of uh, therapy and take her to Cheadle Royal Priory, where she would have this um, very expensive therapy, which she did. So I never know what quite what happened to her, but I do know that is a perfect example of uh, what I think is the premise of working with people with eating problems. In other words, um, it got acted out in front of me, but it's usually the internalized parent which is bearing down on the child so it's a power battle you forget you say control yeah um, and food becomes the battleground yeah yeah so in the, in transaction analysis the internalized parent and the younger self yeah makes perfect sense that got enacted out where the internalized parent in reality, stopped the therapy and took her away. Now, I was very, very, very early on in my life as a psychotherapist. It'd be a very different ball game now. But I did learn something back then, uh, before the parent came along and sort of ended the therapy in some ways. But I learned that people who, uh, how can I explain this? What I've just said to you, I'll just repeat it again. The food becomes the battleground between the parent and the child. Yeah. In PA terms. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And, and I would imagine used as 
leverage and bargaining and all sorts of things if it's the battleground it's it's a weapon to use yeah because think about i mean you were right right at the beginning you were completely correct right at the beginning of this podcast when you talk about the subject of control mm. and that is what can a person control now very few things especially when they're being uh, in this battle against the parent but one of the one of the things they can do is control what goes in and out of their body yeah so in that sense you're correct it's a battle for control so yeah. at least you can do many other things you can tell me off you can talk to me you can define me you can do x but you can't dictate what goes in and out of my body because i'm not going to allow you to I'll starve myself or I'll overeat my death or, or I'll overeat myself to death. Yeah. Yeah. Because w would you kind of group the same things together if you're talking anorexia and bulimia and those sorts of things with, you know, phobias around food or the texture of food or the act of swallowing food? Would you put that under eating disorder? umbrella if there was such a thing eating challenges or eating issues or eating problems and they're all part of the same process as i think uh, in terms of what i've just said is that it's a struggle of for control and of course phobias and everything else comes off the back of this yeah. um, from the internalized parents and the younger self yeah now so if you're working with somebody with eating issues, whether it's anorexia or bulimia or overeating, um, you you are it's a, I can explain it to you. A is again it's a slow work, so it's a long, long therapy. And yet, in its essence, you're helping the client get hold of their younger self, and you're helping them to pr promote autonomy. In other words, to be able to think, feel, and be the age they are in the face of this heavily internalized parent. Yeah. So you have to take on the internalized parent, but of course you need, first of all, to get the, on the side of the, in TA terms again, the younger child. So they feel protected enough to be able to stand up to the internalized parent. Yeah. And food has become the battleground, like I said earlier on. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I don't I don't know why, but I keep thinking about permission and, and you know giving them permission. Mm. To what? I'm not sure. That's what I'm thinking about. I'm trying to work it out. That, that rather than be me being embroiled in that battleground as well between the internalized parents and the child, to kind of give the child permission to have that autonomy to, yeah, you know, there doesn't need to be a battle with the internalized parent to give them permission. <laughs> but I'm not sure what the permission is for. Well, it's a permission to be themselves and to have feelings and have thoughts and have a, a sense of a life outside the parent. So 
Yes, in in a very simplistic framework. Yes. Yeah. In a much more complex framework, though, is how you do that. How you get to that place where somebody's got such a highly, uh, highly destructive internalized parent, though it may not seem like that to the real parent. But anyway, um, how do you get to a place where they feel psychologically protected and strong enough to be able to stand up to that parent and take? You know, to get, yeah, in some ways, yeah, verbal permissions, that's part of the process. Um, so permissions is correct, but, you know, the framework is how you do it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, because it, it, it is really complex when you're talking about again it's two parts of the self isn't it to a to a certain extent the, the the parents part there's an impasse going on where there's this internal dialogue constantly around everything and oh. it, is it because it's just focused on the food issue well i remember a client of mine who binged regularly um and purge the self so you're in that cycle yeah and she would talk about oh you know i just found myself by the fridge oh it's three o'clock in the morning i just and i just found myself opening the fridge but let's let's look at a statement you know people many times and often will use food as a way of eating their feelings. Mm. So if you trace back and you said to your client or said to my client, oh gosh, so let's go back, say half an hour before you found yourself at the fridge. What were you thinking and feeling? And I remember her saying, well, I was feeling like and I remember saying this, though it's not a feeling, it's a thought. But anyway, she said, I was feeling like I hated myself. And I feel I was feeling a level of self-disgust. And I was feeling so worthless and so futile in the life that I wanted to not be in this planet. So what does she do? She goes and eats. Mm. The function of the eating in this level is to eat the feelings away yeah i i find it fascinating how we as human beings work out ways to do things like that you find it fascinating yeah so in other words do you find psychological defenses to trauma, to neglect, to all the things we've been talking about in these podcasts, in many ways, defense is fascinating. Yeah. Okay. I don't think we work it out, you see. No, that's what I mean. I it's not a conscious thing, is it? I just find it fascinating. Yeah. Well, good. That's, that's probably what was the motivation behind you training to be a psychotherapist for four years and what you do now. Quite possibly. <laughs> podcast <laughs> even now i am in awe of us as human beings and how we 
we survive and thrive to use your words by doing certain things it's a, it's a, I'm not really a Freudian I, I, in many I'm not a Freudian but but let's go back to some of the instinctual drives he talked about you know I do think there's an innate instinct drive you know to, to live and to to actually survive and to you know often what in ancient words called physis the the the, the you know the, the the actual drive to 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 be in this this planet and i think we have developed psychological defenses to enable us to psychologically survive the best we can to function yeah and that might mean splitting off between thinking and feeling you know it might mean many things that we put in unconscious unconscious compartments um that we deal with later even though we may have flashbacks and triggers but at least we're surviving in a certain way yeah it doesn't mean that survival is actually particularly wonderfully whole but at least we are so we are still in this planet at a, at a, at a psychological level i think that's the bit i find fascinating <laughs> That yeah. we work out, you know, with what we've got available at the time, how to survive. And at the time, it makes perfect sense. So, you know, what triggered that for me was you saying eating their feelings. And at some level, that made perfect sense. Great. So then, instinctually, you know how to work with eating disorders then. Yes. Because what you, what, if we take that fascination of yours you what you are going to do is enable them to express what they ate in emotional ways in other words you go back to half an hour before they found themselves in the fridge and you help them express what they weren't able to express for whatever reasons which you will work out in therapy and as you start to do that and then they start to deal with um what they've eaten if you like or not expressed yeah you will get to the healing process yeah this here bob is why i love my job literally this so what this, we're talking about the, the insights the you know us as human beings that we're all unique and amazing and you know i, I do believe that ultimately we all want to be here you know that that need to survive and yeah. exactly like you said be on the planet now that's amazing yeah i don't know if it's fascinating for you but it's amazing that in the most dreadful of human conditions psychologically uh that we we wish to be on this planet even if we deaden ourselves to life yeah people have been wow. sexually abused people have been highly traumatized the way they cope is to in inverted commas basically what however we talk about it is to deaden themselves to light to those feelings mm. trauma so they can psychologically live and of course the problem the problem is that as they start to do that 
and they start to relate to the world in different ways, then relationships or other parts of themselves get triggered. And then that compartment where they've hidden parts of themselves away starts to leak out. Yeah. Yeah. So part of working with eating disorders is to help the person find, find enough autonomy and strength to be able to give them, I'll use your word, give themselves permissions to grow up and be the age they are and um, self-define themselves rather than in this internal battle with their internalized parent who doesn't actually allow them, who, who doesn't allow them to grow up. Yeah. Which again, you know, it must be exhausting to be in a world where there is that internal conflict and battleground all the time. That's right. Now that will get enacted out in the therapy room. So any therapist listening to this, you're absolutely right, Jackie, about permissions, but you need to put the protection in first. Yes. And you need to uh, test that out. In other words, the relationship needs to be strong enough for the client to feel that they are protected by you in the work or the service of healing, which means taking on the internalized parent and, and therefore allowing, if you want to use those words, the client to take charge of their own autonomy and be the age that they are uh, today. Yeah. But it will mean more than anything else taking on the internalized negative parent. Is this the permission protection importance though? Well, that's, yeah, yeah. And that's a very good way of looking at it. But by being potent and involving yourself in that therapeutic process and giving the verbal permissions and standing up to the internalized parent, you're providing a different environment, if you like, for the person to understand themselves, empower themselves, and in inverted commas, grow up. Yeah. Yeah. So there's another treatment plan of working with people, but you see, it's not linear, and it'll take quite a long time. Yes, yeah. Yeah, when you're doing these processes in the therapy room, do you explain to your client what's happening? Do you feed back after that, that what we've just actually done is? Well, I tell you what, working with eating disorder, yes, the answer is yes, but in a way which is accessible to them. Yeah. So, you know, okay, many people listening here might not have been trained in transaction analysis, but the transaction analysis model of parent, adult, child, and the three parts of the self, I will often do what I call it, educative therapy, to give themselves a, a shared language to understand very complex processes like what we're talking about. Yes, and yeah. I think the PAC model is a really good way to explain that. Yeah, yeah. So yes, I do. But often in the, in this, in the, in, in the service of the client, I may teach them what I call educative therapy, that PAC model, which I think is very useful when we talk about an internalized parent, which is bearing down on the child. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, the therapist, this is why I like the model, the therapist becomes hopefully one of the new internalized parent figures. Yeah. And you can teach that from an educative therapeutic place. Yeah. I think that's important to, to have that, that understanding for when they're outside of the therapy region, you know to me, that they can literally visualize what's going on when they feel that urge that drive that that compulsion to do certain things mm, absolutely yeah coming from the younger self which is the younger self which has been so defined by the internalized parent yeah so that, 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 that what happens is they they move to adapt either being perfect pleasing it's a really big thing with people with eating disorders to get by in the world and what's not happening is, is they're not separating out, um, being appropriate at the age they are now. They stay as a younger child, if you like. Yeah. And food is a way, a really good way to push down feelings. Yes. Yeah. Literally swallowing it that it is. Yeah. And the other way, another thing about eating disorder, it's a very good way to structure time. Yes. Uh, so they structure time instead of feeling inverted commas bored or uh, uh, feeling all these feelings, they can structure time by eating something. Yeah. Or not just eating something, eating lots of something. <laughs> yeah. I think what one of the things that comes up, you know, with a lot of my clients, I, I don't know whether it's related around foods that, that I'm seeing them for, but that you know food is connected with an awful lot of life events whether that's you know when we're celebrating or when we're commiserating or you, do you know what I mean I, I need to comfort myself so we eat food or you know I'm celebrating my successes so we eat food it's kind of like a cultural thing sometimes as well food well, of course we, you know we again in TA the whole, the whole concept of the cultural parent and you're perfectly right but eating eating is a way we structure time yeah yeah culture we're in yeah yeah even it, literally structuring time breakfast dinner tea <laughs> the, the, the day is structured around yeah. food on a, on a literal sense yeah the TA book by Kathy Leach it's written about 10 years ago, which I was looking at this podcast, and it's called The Overweight Patient, A Psychological Approach to, to Understanding Working with Obesity by Kathy Leach. And she's a TA therapist, and she gives a TA uh, model for working with uh, eating issues, but particularly the overweight patient. And she takes the frame I've just been talking about which is the battle against the internalized parent, which is giving them certain commands, uh, XXX. So, well, I just think of uh, my parents, for example, uh, I would think my mother every day of my life, when we we're eating, um, if I left any food, would say, you better eat up all that food. Just think of all the uh, people starving in Biafra, it was back then in the 1960s. Yeah. Yeah. I developed a guilt complex. Yeah. So there's a you can see there's a lot in this. Yeah. To explore the stories 
and the parental slogans and the cultural, the parental cultural norms. Yes. But as I say, the younger child then survives usually by adapting, pleasing, or being perfect and staying young. And uh, the, the, the therapies are around enabling them through permissions and protection to take autonomy. Uh, of autonomy, I'll put it grow up because I mean it's psychologically and develop new healthy patterns of eating. Yeah. Yeah, it's worth looking at that book. It sounds it sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's only about twenty pounds. It's paperback. Yeah. It's about ten years old. Two thousand and eleven, I think, or might be two thousand and nine. But it's ageless in a way because it explains how to use the PAC model when working with overweight clients and talks about what I've been talking about for the last, or we've been talking about for the last minute, which is the internalized parental battle with the regressed child's ego state. Yeah. Bob, as always, you're a wealth of information. Good talking to you. You I'm blow just... my mind every session. I'm so pleased that we're doing this together. Oh, good. It's fascinating. Is that the word from you? Oh, amazing. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Blows my mind. I'm fascinated. Yeah. Well, I enjoy talking about these things. And, you know, there's many, 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 many things. I think that uh, it would be talked sometime or other to talk about methods in a psychotherapy room, like the two-chair technique or visualisations and metaphors. So there's so many podcasts uh, we've got lined up. But I, I have enjoyed particularly talking about the last two, which has been uh, working with the e eating challenges and the one previously, which was working with sexual abuse and the road to thriving. From surviving to thriving. Yeah, love it. So we're going to keep the next episode title a surprise. Yes, because we've got so many topics. We thought he, both of me and myself can actually look at uh, which one's next and uh, yeah let's keep it a, a sense of anticipation oh yes which I think you know if we're talking about psychotherapy I think quite often we're dealing with a person's uh, anticipation or lack of anticipation but let's keep the anticipation process going 100%. So we're keeping it behind closed doors. Absolutely. So looking forward to the next podcast, whatever that may be. I shall see you very soon, Bob. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Therapy Show, Behind Closed Doors podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. We'll be back next week with another episode.